0: You're listening to Ask Nurse Alice, presented by Nurse.org, where Alice Benjamin combines no-nonsense advice with thought-provoking interviews. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Ask Nurse Alice podcast, the show where we talk about anything and everything nursing and healthcare related. I'm your host, Alice Benjamin, clinical nurse specialist, family nurse practitioner, and chief nursing officer at Nurse.org. And I have to say, I am thoroughly excited for today's Interview. We're going to be discussing a story that has been sensationalized. For many, she's your new Shiro. For some of you, you're really concerned about, you know, oh my gosh, is this what we should be doing? So there's been a lot of talk, but you know, why not get it from the horse's mouth? Nurse.org, obviously, who who loves nurses thought, you know, it would be so wonderful if we could have Kelsey, who is the nurse who, in you know, the sensationalized story, says that she called 911, which, by the way, we'll clarify that. Um, she, was the, she was the chargers in the emergency room, and we felt that it was so important for Kelsey to have the stage and to be able to tell, you know, first, we want to know about Kelsey and her experience in the emergency room, why she became a nurse, but also what was it like the day that, you know, she needed to advocate for herself, the team, and the patients and get help from other uh, emergency care providers. So please welcome to the show, Kelsey. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really do appreciate it.
0: So first of all, we like to ask people, you know, why did you decide to become a nurse? What's your why about nursing? What led you to the nursing profession?
1: My why for nursing Um, I kind of came to be a nurse later in life. I I worked some very male-dominated field jobs. I worked as a welder. I worked at the Naval Shipyard here in my local area as a submarine electrician. I worked on a fishing boat out of the Bering Sea. I did some kind of crazy jobs. And then when I had my daughter, my plan was to Go to school while she was while she was little, and then when she went to grade school, I was going to be a school nurse. And I had always been the person that like stopped at car accidents, or was the one that went to take care of my friends if they were sick or just had surgery and that kind of a thing. So I always was kind of leaning that way, and and it just it just took me a little bit longer to realize that that was what I wanted to do. But from my first anatomy and physiology class, I was hooked. I thought it was just magic the way that the that the human body tries so hard to, you know, write some of the ridiculous things that we try to do to it and to be successful and healthy, you know, despite, despite our best efforts sometimes.
0: Okay. So you, you work in the emergency room. Now I myself also work in the emergency room. So I completely understand what the workflow can be like. And I don't know that everyone really understands that Kelsey. So tell me what's, what's your experience been working in this emergency room?
1: I was kind of, um, you know, I was doing a little bit of research into um, you and your show, (laughs) you know, like any good investigator right beforehand. You know, we kind of have a little bit of similarity. I started out as an LPN. I worked in skilled nursing for about seven years. Then I went back and I got my, um, I did a bridge program to my bachelor's degree. And then I have been continuing on to get my FNP. So who knows if that'll happen. COVID made that really hard. But so I, I kind of came to the emergency room in a roundabout way. I, um when I got my RN degree, I actually did my residency in a neurotrauma ICU, which is like, if you've ever worked in an ICU, if you've ever done that, that's, that's completely 180 degrees out from ER nursing. Um I always kind of joke that the ICU is like the OCD side of my personality and the ER is like the, my ADHD side. So somehow they they kind of managed to coexist. But, you know, the, the normal, quote unquote, normal world, and even I I think to some extent, nurses that don't work in the ER, it's more organized and they, they expect Um, and get, you know, a 15 minute break, and a lunch break, and another 15 minute break. And, you know, if they're going to step off the floor for a minute, they can have somebody keep an eye on their patients. And the ER is not like that. Like, I, we don't get breaks, we, you know, sometimes there's a slow day where we will, but for the most part, there's not 15 minute breaks, there's not half hour lunch breaks, there's not time to go and heat up food. And it is just 12, 14, 16,000 steps in a shift. Every night, you know, like that's the norm. (laughs) And people, I don't think I didn't adequately understand that before I got there. Yes,
0: I can totally agree with you. I've worked at ICU and I've worked at ER too in two totally different worlds. And one thing I will say about because I did ICU first, then I went to ER. So, and as ICU nurse, sometimes you can be so detailed into the weed of things. And in the ER, you know, it's really like, what's your emergency? Like, let's address the emergency and then let's get you to the area that's better suited to continue to manage your your issue. But the ER is also so unpredictable. The patient volume, as you mentioned, sometimes sometimes you can get a you know get a break and things like that. Although you everyone deserves a break. Let me preface that. Regardless of what environment, you deserve a break, but it just so happens because of the patient flow, the, you know, it's not predictable. And, you know, I mean, we're in California, so I don't know if it's different in your state, but generally our ratio is one nurse for patients, right? But that's the patients that like, you can quickly turn around. Oh, I got an earache. Oh, my tummy aches. Like those type of things that you can fairly treat fairly well. They're not the, you know, if you get someone who's septic or you get someone who's like trauma, like, listen, just imagine having that many patients. And then unlike the floors where they'll have a set of patients and they'll discharge. In ER, this is one of the most fatiguing things I think about ER. You're getting patients, you're discharging. New patients, discharging. It's like you have so many patients. So you actually have to be, I think the ER nurse has to be stronger. We have to be stronger physically, mentally, because we're getting exposed to so many patients and so many things. And you know, the cutie level, sometimes it's okay to have four. Sometimes you might have two septic patients and a STEMI coming in and it's like impossible. You want me to do what? And that's what also makes staff. So staffing is already an issue for everyone. But then you complicate it with the idiosyncrasies of ER. There are some days where I'm like crying and I'm like, forget this. I quit. I don't want to do this. But then obviously I come back for more, right? Because I love being a nurse. <laughs> now, it sounds like yeah, it really yeah. right.
1: I've had that conversation yeah. with myself a time or two.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, and and so just this, and I'm gonna Kelsey, I'm gonna say this. So this is where you come into play. This is where we we learn we we learned to meet you and you know what happened in your hospital. So it sounds like you and your team were having a very busy day, right? It sounds like you had I don't know more than forty five patients in a waiting area. Yeah. And I, correct me if I'm wrong, but were you like a team of five, only five nurses that day?
1: Yeah, it was a little bit of a perfect storm situation. Um, We were in the middle of the cyber attack that happened against Virginia Mason. So our computer systems were totally down, which on the best, most well-staffed low acuity days is still a nightmare. We day shift was short-staffed. Everything was slower because, you know, because of Epic being down. You know, one of those days where there were a lot of people, the department was moving really slow. I came in, I'm a night shift charge. So I came in at seven and I had a couple nurses calling call sick. I could see the writing on the wall that at 11 o'clock when some of my mid-shifters went home, unless some miracle happened and everybody in the lobby left without being seen, we were really going to be in trouble. So for the first like three hours, we we really tried, you know, we tried to get the lobby cleared out. We tried to get people out. People were just, we couldn't move people. The house was full. The whole house was short-staffed. We had some really critical sick patients, cardiac patients, respiratory patients in the lobby. At 11 o'clock, I had, there was supposed to be, I think, six or seven nurses going home. A couple of them stayed over, bless their hearts, because they, I think they probably saw the panic on my face. And so a couple of them stayed over to help. My immediate manager was there. He was in scrubs up in first look. He was, you know, he was doing his best to help. I asked for um, a divert. They told me no. Um, I asked for any additional help from the house. There wasn't any. I, I asked for, we have a an ambulance company that we contract with that has come in and helped us in the past. I asked if they had a crew that could come help us. They didn't. You know, so at that point, it's 1045. I have nurses going home at 11. And I'm like, I, I mean, I, it just in my brain, I was like, well, if that ambulance crew can't come and help, I wonder if there's another one that can. And so I said to my manager and a couple of other people that were all kind of standing around the charge desk, and I just said, I'm going to call CENCOM and see if they have anybody available. So the story was that I called 911, and that's that's not technically true. I I didn't, you know, I wasn't trying to pull a rig out of service. I was calling the back line, the back non-emergent line. I talked to the dispatcher. I explained to her what the situation was. She was really nice, and she said, let me reach out to the fire chief and I will, I'll have him call you. Uh, So he called me back and I, and I told him what the deal was. And I said, Hey, if you have any crews that aren't on a call, is it possible that they might be able to come help us out in the lobby? A couple extra sets of eyes, somebody to, you know, take vitals. You know, I knew we had some sick patients out there and, you know, one person watching 40 patients is just impossible Three people watching forty patients isn't really much better, but it's better than one. So the fire chief was nice enough to send us a, a crew over. They were there for a couple of hours, and we managed to struggle through it, but it was horrible.
0: So Kelsey, let me just bring some people up to speed because I I'm ER, so I I, I get I get the language, I get the lingo and everything. So people, it's like so. Just to kind of recap. You guys, even on the, even on a low acuity day, um, with good staffing, computers were down. You guys, we are so dependent on our computers for everything, for labs, for orders, communication, like every single thing. Like we can no longer just go to a paper chart and find stuff because everything's on the computer. So that is like working in the dark many times, right? And especially if you're getting like critical lab values or like information is just communicated very slowly and can be very choppy. So that's one. And like you mentioned, oh my gosh, I know what it's like to have like the manager and you know what? Manager is not so bad, but sometimes when you have other people who try to help, Lord bless them because they're not really ER nurses, but they try. But you know, I get it. All hands on deck, right? <laughs> Listen, if we got nursing, if we got nursing students, let's bring them yeah. in. If you're on orientation, congratulations, you've graduated. You're on your own. Like we do everything.
1: You dressed as a nurse for Halloween once. Come on in, yeah, whatever.
0: <laughs> congratulations. Well, you're welcome here. But you ask for diversion. So, for those of you who are listening who don't know what diversion is, this is an opportunity for an emergency room because perhaps they are saturated and literally out of resources and cannot manage any other emergencies or crises. We ask for a short amount of time where we're on bypass, like divert, like don't bring anybody here. Can't we can't help you? We're full. Don't we, don't we don't have any resources, so we ask for diversion. And Chelsea, you correct me if I'm wrong, but like usually diversion lasts. You have to like kick, scream, and beg for it. it has to be like an emergency, like crisis, type of thing. So they don't want to give it to you. And then when you ask for it, you have to make sure that other hospitals in your right. catchment area aren't on diversion because only one can be on diversion at a time. And then if you're lucky to get diversion, you can only be on it for one hour. And then it's like. One hour? Are you back in service? What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? And literally, right. if you've had to go on diversion, usually an hour is not going to be enough to resolve what's happening. So it's like a, it's like a it's like a hail mary, right? It's like please, and it's like temporary. I have to admit, I know the news sensationalized like nurse calls nine one one and the emergency is in the ER, but you literally ex- had exhausted all of. I mean, you're charge nurse. You've looked at everyone everything. You've thought of every possible scenario. And I can't, I don't, you know, I'll be honest. I don't know that I would have thought of doing that, calling, you know, like speaking with your emergency team, a fire chief to bring some resources out. And I know it wasn't your intention to bring a rig out of service, but let's be honest, even with a rig in service, where you didn't even have space for them to bring anyone because the, the paramedics were probably holding the wall with patients, right? Probably couldn't even right, bring anybody. Right, I, know. Or, I mean, <laughs>
1: And you know, one way or another, they're going to be there—either stuck in my hallway yes. or helping me in the lobby. I don't. No. Let me it. ask:
0: When you had that discussion with the <laughs> folks around the chart, like the desk, were they supportive? Were there was anyone like apprehensive about it? Like, what were what was the thought process of everyone when you made that suggestion?
1: I wish I could. I wish I could adequately explain the chaos <laughs> that happened in the ER in particular, but in my hospital in general with this downtime situation you know the ho- the hospital's party line is like we had a well-oiled method in place for handling that we did not um nothing about that was well-oiled there was no there was no order there was no this is how you do the things like we kind of figured it out as we went um it was very word of mouth you know every shift kind of did things differently different people had different ways and I I mean, it just, there was nothing organized or safe about it. So it was, it was already so chaotic that I think, I don't know, like, I I wonder if, if we weren't in downtime, if it wasn't so chaotic and so just outside of the realm of what most of us had ever seen before. I'd never seen anything like that before and never experienced it. I hope I never do again. That I think that me saying that didn't even really register on a scale of like, I don't know if this is a good idea or I don't know if this is something anybody's ever done. At that point, it was just kind of like, whatever works, <laughs> you know? It was just kind of like, we were so far outside yeah. of the box by that point that it was like, it didn't even, desperate times, right? Desperate measures. And I I think that's kind of where we were.
0: Right. I think your backs were up against the wall and you'd like, like look, this is almost crisis mode. Like literally almost it's really crisis mode. Like what can we do? And when you have that many patients in your waiting area and not enough nurses, guys, we know what it's like. If you don't have enough staff to provide the surveillance and intervene, this is how people die in emergency rooms. This is how they die in hallways when they're not attended to. And it's not because we don't want to. It's because we can't. We literally can't. There's not enough
1: of us. Yeah.
0: I'm going to go as far as to say that whenever there is a downtime, right. I think that should be red flags to everyone like whoa, let's slow things down a little bit. Our system's been somewhat crippled and we got to to ensure patient safety, let's slow things down a little bit. Let's make sure we're we're okay yeah. with resources otherwise we're putting people in harm's way. So, first off, thank you for what you did. We think you were awesome, amazing. You did right. what you could do with the resources that you have. And listen, even if you had called nine one one, I know you didn't, but you called the non emergency line, which is the correct thing to do. You did the right mm-hmm. thing, and it sounds like the people on the receiving end understood what was happening because it sounds like, and in the, our research, we've that the fire chief in your area, some you know, some fire chief official has had conversations with your hospital about long wait times for rigs coming in with patients and things like that. So we know that there's an issue in Although, you know, we're not attacking your hospital. This is something that nationwide has probably issues at other hospitals. Our biggest concern is that nurses are supported and provided the resources that we need to take care of the patients. And when we're placed in environments like we've seen this, nurses don't have the resources they need, computer systems down, it leads to errors, it leads to patient deaths. And that's the last thing that we want to happen. So we think you did a great job. I just want you to know that. Right. We thank you. We think you did an awesome job. Um thank you. And guys, it's that. rally at the nurse.org family troops. And I would actually encourage and put a call out to action. Everyone who's listening to this, students, you know, nurses, new grads, APNs, you know, in support of our colleagues for the hard work that we do, even if you're not in this state, even if this is not your local hospital, I would encourage you. We'll put it in the article. We'll put a place where you can write a letter. But we would actually encourage you to write a letter to the hospital in support. Of Kelsey and her team, and saying that she did job well done, and you know ask that the nurses there continue to be supported, so we're not going to get into the politics because I know there's stuff that happens in leadership when this kind of stuff comes out in the public, but Kelsey that's not your fault it's not your problem. We as nurses, and I think the community as well should demand more of hospital leadership and supportive services so kelsey let let me ask you this: we as fellow nurses, nursing students and even retired nurses, everyone, you know, even just friends of nurses, how can we support you in your journey and what's going on with your hospital? Because even though I don't work at your hospital, I'm still a nurse. I could potentially float there one day or travel there. What is there anything that, like any takeaways that you have for nurses that we can either A, help support you in your hospital and what's going on, or if there are other suggestions you have for us who might be going
1: through similar things? I think I really appreciate that question because it is one of those things where. We can talk about it a lot, but talk is great. Awareness is great. And our community is very much pro-nurse and they have been very behind myself and some some of the other uh, people that work there that have been, you know, more on the outspoken side. And they actually um, organized a little community event. They came to the hospital one, one afternoon with just little goodie bags and some flowers and that kind of thing. And a sign that said, we appreciate you. Like, That kind of thing from the community, I think really goes a long way towards kind of easing nurses' beat up little hearts. You know, (laughs) it's just like feeling like, man, I'm in this, you know, with nothing. So, you know, don't, don't underestimate. I would say, you know, to people that are listening, like, don't underestimate the value of little things like that. We see that and we, we soak that stuff up. You know, with regards to my hospital and how you can impact my hospital, you can look up. Up the email addresses of the you know hospital administrators you can email them and tell them and pretty much my you know my whole night shift crew has told me that if they were to try to fire me that they would leave too so i mean it might be a 12 hour hospital i don't know but um you know but that is really a big thing is like to just tell them that they need to listen to what we tell you know what we suggest there's a the
0: thing though there's a the whistleblower act and i don't think you we we believe you might be covered under the whistleblower act yeah
1: yeah, I believe, I think you're right. At the end of the day, really, I think, you know, me, and I hope that every nurse really, when, if you come up against a situation like that, where it's like, I don't know if this is, you know, going to get me in trouble. And honestly, I wasn't really thinking about that. I was just thinking, how am I going to handle this dangerous situation? At the end of the day, it has to be, what am I going to be able to live with? Am I going to be able to live with the fact that I got in trouble maybe because I called Sencom? I'm not crazy about that, but I'll be able to sleep with that. I wouldn't be able to sleep if I hadn't called CENCOM and somebody died in the lobby. I, you know, so everybody has to kind of make that judgment call for themselves of like, what can I live with if this situation goes bad and am I gonna be okay with the effort that I put into it? You know, I am I gonna feel like I did everything that I could? And if I hadn't made that phone call, I would not have been able to feel like I did everything I could. And if somebody had died in the lobby, I would take that very personally.
0: Exactly. And I think the community is glad that you did too, because you did what was in the best interest, not only of the nurses, because obviously we can only do so much, we get tired, but for the safety of the patients. So I think the community really should be also thankful that you did that and outraged at the hospital if they're going to look the other cheek. Now, I heard the stories about, yes, their computer systems were attacked or cyber or something, but that doesn't negate the fact that you are still responsible for patient safety. You got to slow things down a little bit in those situations. So we're glad that you did it. Yeah. We're glad you did it. We are definitely going to put a call out to action, encourage our nurses to rally up the troops, and we're going to write letters, emails, send them to your hospital. And also we want to you know, support your support the nurses there because that can feel really crappy when you're busting your butts to do everything and then you don't get the appreciation or a thank you i know we don't live for the thank yous but come on don't even if you're not gonna say thank you don't say not nice things about me when i really was trying to do my best so we think you did an awesome job we are so (laughs) glad and don't call me don't call me a liar like that part yeah i'm a nurse i'm not a liar we are the most trusted professions the most ethical professionals Um, out there according to Gallup polls for over 20 something years. So we think you did the right thing. So uh, Kelsey, I know you'll, you'll share with us. Uh, We'll make sure to get um, all the information in the article. We'll attach it to the article. We want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Thank
1: you so much, Alice. I really appreciate it.
0: Guys, for those of you guys who are listening, you know, we have her on the show today. So many of us have read about her, but we wanted to see her, see her face. We wanted to hear her voice. We wanted to hear the first account of what was happening because you're never really going to get a story unless you hear it from the actual nurse. And that was something that myself and nurse.org really wanted to get across and share. And also to personally thank her and her team for her service and inspire everyone who's listening. You should be just as outraged. Even if you weren't on shift that night, you should be just as outraged that that happened because it could happen to you, the net, your next shift at your hospital. And if we don't talk about it, we're not going to learn the lessons from each other. And we got to learn from each other. We got to support each other and know what's going on in each other's necks of the woods. So Kelsey, again, thank you so much to you, your team, your staff. I am going to talk to my folks at nurse.org and see if we guys send y'all a goodie bag or something and just say thank you. For what you do and again you did nothing wrong and from one ER nurse to another I would have been so proud to have you as my charge nurse like yes call them call them we need all the help and and you know what and also <laughs> shout out to the fire chief and all of them for just being so collaborative. I love it. Please make sure to share this podcast with a friend, a classmate, your your manager, your director because they need to hear about these things too. You guys it's been a pleasure chatting with you. We'll put all the details um, in the article and attached to this podcast so you guys can support her, her team, and you know, let's support one another. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email me at nursealex at nurse.org. And again, shout out to nurse.org so much for being such a wonderful platform and resource and advocate for nurses. Hey guys, I know we just had an amazing interview with Kelsey and getting her firsthand experience as to what was going on when she reached out to the non-emergency line to get assistance for her nurse staff. And- we all can feel Chelsea's uh, pain. We've we've been there, we've experienced it, and we've experienced something very similar to it. Now, as nurses, as healthcare professionals, when we identify problems, it's so important that we also look at the bigger picture. Although we may not like it all the time, it's really important that we reach out to the other side to look at what their thought process is, what they're doing and what they're not doing, and somehow work together so we can come together in the middle and find a solution for the problems. So fortunately, we were able to get a statement from St. Michael's Hospital about how they are handling some of the issues that were raised. So one of the questions that we asked were, how are you addressing staffing levels at the hospital? And according to a statement from them, they said that turnover at St. Michael's for healthcare staff is well under the national average and that RN turnover at St. Michael's is lower today than it was throughout COVID-19. Now, they believe this is a testament to their ongoing efforts to recruit and retain staff, and they are actively hiring for full-time, part-time, and as-needed employees. They're also deploying innovative ways to attract and retain team members in the competitive labor market, and they're including incentives such as sign-on bonuses and loan forgiveness programs. They're providing staffing incentives and shift premiums. Also, they're increasing investments in their professional development and career pathways. So, in addition to recruiting from the existing labor market, they are working to build a pipeline of providers to address their community needs. And as part of that effort, they are working closely with the Olympic College to hire nursing residents from their nursing program, as well as they are training the next generation of family medicine physicians through their Northwest Family Medicine Residency Program. Although that is a very short statement, I know you're gonna feel the way that you feel. However, I think it's really important that we hear St. Michael's out. We give them that opportunity to correct what has happened. And that's the most that we can do right now. We can't change the past. All we can do is listen, have conversations, and take actions towards the future. So I'm hopeful that moving forward, St. Michael's will be able to meet the needs of not only their patients, but their staff and for their community. Thanks for listening to Ask Nurse Alice. Visit nurse.org for nursing career, education, and community resources.